Good morning. Before I begin, I would like to address the children. Kids, before you get out your cars or your pen and paper, whatever you plan to do, I want you to know that I'm going to be talking about love. So whatever you do now, also think about love. How does God love you? How do you love God? How do you love others? If you have any uh, questions or thoughts about this, please share them with your mom or dad or your Sunday school teacher, or you can tell me. But please share your thoughts because that is very important. And it's one of the important ways that you show your love for us. Okay? So you can go back to whatever you were doing. <clears throat> There's an Ella Jenkins song that gets some play in our house. The neighborhood is a friendly place. The neighborhood is a friendly place. You can say hi to friends passing by. The neighborhood is a friendly place. Or maybe you know this one. <clears throat> oh, who, <clears throat> let me uh, <clears throat> get my Muppet voice on here. Oh, who are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? Say, who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet each day. <clears throat> Maybe you know this one. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Well, all these songs popped into my head this week as I was preparing for this morning for two reasons. One, because they're obviously all songs about neighbors, and the concept of neighbors plays prominently in our script, our text this morning. <clears throat> but actually, more to the point, they're all kids' songs. And a thought that kept nagging me time and time again as I read through commentaries and sermons and other theological gobbledygook was that spiritually, we are all children. Maybe even toddlers. <clears throat> Maybe some of us infants. When it comes to understanding God's love, God, God's creation all around us, we have yet to learn and comprehend so much. Our text from 1 Thessalonians this morning, Paul obviously doesn't care what others think of him. He doesn't care if he offends. He speaks boldly. And one of the commentaries I read pointed out that there's a discrepancy in the translation of the text where it is written, we were gentle among you. Gentle is spelled E-P-I-O-I. I don't know my Greek. But what some of the oldest copies of the New Testament have written is N-E-P-I-O-I, which means infant. Now, certainly, the N could be a 1,600-year-old typo. But it is interesting to think of Paul saying, we were infants among you. As any young parent will tell you, an infant doesn't care what you think. An infant doesn't care if it's 3.30 in the morning and you whacked your head on the door on the way into the room. An infant is bold and lets you know what she's feeling. Kind of like Paul, sharing the message of Christ. So we need to be, or maybe we are, the spiritual equivalent of a two-year-old and we need to love. Okay, maybe we should look at the gospel reading this morning. What is recounted here is the last conversation between Jesus and religious leadership. And the Pharisees are ready to stick it to Jesus. One of the lawyers attempts what one of our modern politicians would call a gotcha question. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? 
Now, what this lawyer and many of his colleagues must have been thinking was, <laughs> there are 613 laws in the Pentateuch, 248 of things to do or be, and 365 laws of things forbidden to do. And, of course, he'll, he'll say that all the laws are equal because they're all sanctioned by God. And when he does that, then we can point out all the laws he's guilty of breaking. And he's guilty of, obviously guilty of breaking a lot of them since just look at the, <laughs> the crowd he hangs out with. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't fall for all these laws are equal trick. He responds with two commandments. One from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says this is the greatest commandment, along with the other commandment. Part of the Leviticus passage read this morning. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and prophets. Ouch. So in other words, those 611 other laws, they're only pertinent in relation to this. Love God and love each other. So all those questionable people Christ was hanging out with, yeah, that's, that's where he was supposed to be because of his love for God and for his neighbor. And all the Pharisees with their legal nitpicking and extravagant, but traditionally and religiously correct lifestyles, they were keeping the laws while completely missing the heart of their faith, love. Boom! You've just been served a plate of humble pie by Christ himself. Now it's easy to speak disparagingly of the Pharisees here, those religious snobs, so caught up in their own understanding of God that they couldn't even recognize the Son of God right in front of them. And yet, they're spiritual toddlers of God too. We just have the hindsight as the readers of Matthew to know and get Christ's answers. So let's go back and look at those two commandments that stymied those poor spiritual toddlers so long ago. We'll start with the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So love God, right? Simple enough. Well, yes and no. Jesus simplified the complexity of all those laws into two commandments, but that doesn't mean that they're simple-minded thoughts or some warm, fuzzy, watered-down law. When the Gospels talk about love, it's usually less about affection and more about commitment. It's a commitment that goes beyond just personal feelings. You're supposed to love God with all that you are, your heart, your soul, your mind. <clears throat> How do you wrap your brain around that? <clears throat> See, this is where my mind feels like it's at the spiritual age of a two-year-old. One of the ways I can think of describing it comes from a movie that came out earlier this year, The Tree of Life. If you haven't seen it, you're probably someone who won't want to. But I would recommend watching part of it. It's close to the beginning, and after setting up the characters in the story, the film takes a rather dramatic turn and rewinds all the way back to the Big Bang. We watch the formation of the sun and the cooling of the planets encircling it. We see the barren foreign landscape of an Earth billions of years ago. Volcanoes spray lava and gases fill the atmosphere, rain, then oceans, then the very beginnings of life. Now, mind you, this does not go by in seconds. No, this goes on over the course of many minutes. 
We finally reach the age of the dinosaur, then the ice age, and finally, after 15 or 20 minutes, we find ourselves in a small Texas town following the lives of one family seen through the eyes of one son. From all that time and space, we come to this moment, these few people, and this one's, one person's experience. And yet we realize that this infinitesimally small moment is connected and a part of all of this. And all this is somehow right here in this moment and this place. And I think it's the same way with God's love. We are a part of something way, way beyond ourselves. We are each loved by a God that is everywhere and is a part of everything at every place and time. And yet the whole scope of God's love is with us right here, right now, with each of us. And when we love God, when we are committed to doing and being for something way beyond ourselves, then we're capable of doing and being something way beyond ourselves. Now, this, this world might see that something as petty or small or maybe inappropriate or unpopular. But what does that matter? We simply have to have that passion and that dedication, that commitment to loving God. And here I come back again to the need to be like children. We need to have that same passion for pursuing God's love as a child has for exploring the world around them. The image that comes to mind when I think of this comes from about a year ago. I was biking down East Orange Street on my way to pick up John from school one afternoon, around noon, and I saw Margaret and Ben and Evie walking up the hill on their way home. And I noticed that Margaret seemed to be trying to coax and come along, and then I realized that Evie was doing it too. They're both trying to get Ben's attention. And Ben was completely oblivious to them. He was staring up into the most beautiful red and orange tree. And the beaming smile on his face, entranced by God's creation, it took my breath away. We need to have that same amazement, that same joy in God's love, because this commandment to love God is not for God's sake, it's for ours. To follow God, to be blinded by the nagging and tugging of this world, what a gift. I fall short of this every day. I get caught up in the pettiness of life. I get caught up in myself. But there are times when I catch a glimpse when I am reminded, when I recall that I am in the arms of a loving creator and realize that I am a silly, distracted child. But that's okay. Because I am loved. And it is a love that encompasses all times and all peoples and all things. And so I continue to try to love it 
with all of me. But loving God is not enough on its own, is it? There's another part, a second commandment in this prong of love. Second prong. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. The Leviticus text read earlier begins by saying that we should be holy because the Lord our God is holy. The word holy comes from Hebrew, <coughs> the word kadosh, which means other, set apart, removed. If we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, our behavior is going to have to be set apart, other than what we see in the world around us. A world where the disparity between the haves and have-nots grows greater every day. A world where might is right and violence is the norm. And yet, and yet, we are called to be holy, set apart, to be the other, to love God and our neighbor. While we certainly wouldn't want to try to live by Levitical code today, I must admit Levitical code has made great fodder for several sketch comedy scenes. It's worthy noting how sincere and serious these priests back in Levitical times were in their attempt to be holy. They believed that what was holy was not something superhuman or incredibly extraordinary. Being holy was simply choosing to do those little things, those everyday gestures and acts that show love for your neighbor and for God. What's holy is the space between us. That time and place that we can recognize as a gift from God and share of ourselves in genuine loving ways with each other. Now, if there was any modern person who understood the significance of this holy space between us and what it means to be a neighbor, I think that person was Mr. Rogers. He recognized what is becoming only more and more true in our digital world. What it means to be neighbor can be the person next door, or it can be someone halfway around the world. He understood the space between him and his television neighbor was holy. Just like every instance of direct one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone can be holy. Here's an example of how Fred Rogers loved his neighbor. It's from a story that the writer Tom Genota wrote in Esquire magazine. Once upon a time, there was a boy who didn't like himself very much. He was born with cerebral palsy. To have cerebral palsy means that you can think, but sometimes you can't walk or even talk. This boy had a very bad case of cerebral palsy. And when he was still a little boy, some of the people entrusted to take care of him took advantage of him instead and did things to make that made him think that he was a very bad little boy because only a bad little boy would have to live with the kind of things that he lived with. In fact, when the little boy grew up to be a teenager, he would get so mad with himself that he would hit himself hard with his own fists and tell his mother on the computer he used for a mouth that he didn't want to live anymore. For he was sure that God didn't like what was inside of him any more than he did. One day, Mr. Rogers came to see the boy. At first, the boy was made very nervous. So nervous, in fact, he got mad at himself and began hating himself and hitting himself, and his mother had to take him to another room and talk to him. But Mr. Rogers didn't leave. He wanted something from the boy, 
And Mr. Rogers never leaves when he wants something from somebody. He just waited patiently. And when the boy came back, Mr. Rogers talked to him. And then he made his request. He said, I would like you to do something for me. Would you do something for me? On his computer, the boy answered, yes, of course, he would do anything for Mr. Rogers. So then Mr. Rogers said, I would like you to pray for me. Will you pray for me? And now the boy didn't know how to respond. He was thunderstruck. The boy was thunderstruck because nobody had ever asked him for something like that. Ever. The boy had always been prayed for. The boy had always been an object of prayer. And now he was being asked to pray for Mr. Rogers. And although at first he didn't know if he could do it, he said he would. He said he'd try. And ever since then, he keeps Mr. Rogers in his prayers and doesn't talk about wanting to die anymore. As for Mr. Rogers himself, well, I complimented him on being so smart for knowing that asking the boy for his prayers would make the boy feel better about himself. And Mr. Rogers responded by looking at me at first with puzzlement and then with surprise. Oh, heavens no, Tom. I didn't ask him for his prayers for him. I asked him for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who has gone through the challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. When we care for others in a loving way, we come up with typical answers, like praying for a boy in need. When we love God and love others as ourself, we find the holy space between us. We become what we ourselves could never be. We are in touch with the love that is all around us and in us and throughout time and it can lead a boy who has always felt that he is a burden and not needed to find new purpose, new understanding. It can lead a group of people to develop a housing corporation to help local families in need of safe, affordable homes. It can give a mother the courage to keep parenting, even when it is very hard to see the light and there's so much darkness. It can lead a church to serve meals to their neighbors on Monday nights. It can inspire one to up and leave home and friends and family and serve others halfway around the world. It can remind one to write a thoughtful card or a timely email. There is holy space between us, we neighbors. Who else is your neighbor? Who in your daily life, at work, at home, at school, church, online, who is your neighbor? How do you love them as you love yourself? 
So we must love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. We must love our neighbor as ourselves. These two commandments are inextricably linked. They go hand in hand. And yet, it is the tension between these two commandments that has perplexed and given followers of Christ fits for millennia. Loving God and not bothering with your neighbor can lead to all sorts of ugly things. I mean, it's what the Pharisees did, right? It's easy to write others off as unworthy or unclean when you're only focused between yourself and God. But loving your neighbor as much as yourself without loving God has its problems as well. Without the centering love of God, keeping one focused and grounded, you have love, but no compass to show you the way. And misplaced love, without God's love and grace, can really, really hurt. So we have to have balance, commitment to both. And what that means is going to be a bit different for each of us, isn't it? Where we find that balance between loving God and loving our neighbor is not going to be exactly the same for any one of us. I was trying to think about how to describe this tension between, between the two in each of us and how that relates to us as a community. And then last Sunday in church, we sang, Come We That Love the Lord. <clears throat> and I was singing the bass line. And when I got to the part where the bass line separates from the melody and kind of bounces along on its own, John's head snapped up. And he looked at me as if to say, That's not how this goes. Wait. Does it? Oh, maybe it does. But it's different. But it fits. And that's when it hit me. Our music is the perfect example to show this tension between the two commandments. We're each different. There are those that we are more similar to than others, like sopranos to basses. But when we collectively give it our all, our heart, our soul, our mind, and come together as neighbors, we create something far, far beyond any one of us. And our songs that reverberate off the walls and out the windows and up to the heavens are holy. It doesn't sound perfect. We're far from perfect. Some of us are off pitch. Some of us don't have the prettiest singing voice. But that doesn't matter at all. What matters is that we are showing our love for God and our neighbors. And it's because of our ability to do this that I have no worries about this time of transition. All the other laws and prophets and questions of where we as a congregation are going to go hang on these two commandments. Certainly, we need to continue to ask ourselves, how do we need to respect and love God? How do we need to respect and love our neighbor as ourself? We're spiritual children, and we have so much to learn and experience. Let's acknowledge the holy space between us and love God with every part of us. Because there are so many ways to show that love. And I'll leave you with a little Mr. Rogers. There are many ways to say I love you. 
There are many ways to say I care about you. Many ways, many ways, many ways to say I love you. Singing hymns in church can say I love you. Setting up tables in the basement before you're asked to do it. <laughs> Listening to boring sermons that go on and on. I know I'm no Ron or Don. <laughs> You'll find many ways to say I love you. You'll find many ways to understand what love is. Many ways, many ways, many ways to say. <laughs>